CavsCorner.com podcast, CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place of Franklin Estates in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, December the 20th. It is, uh, as we record this podcast at least, it is uh, early signing period. We, we never really figured out a, a good, uh, I mean, do we call it signing day? I'm not real sure, honestly. But anyway, um, it is obviously the the day that Virginia has uh, has added a number of uh, of recruits to the official uh, ledger. The Cavaliers uh, get, get commitments. I don't want to say 18 because technically, I don't. the The Perkins kid. I mean, if you if you enrolled somewhere else, I can't call you a uh, a recruit in a weird kind of way. I don't know. It's a, there's the traditional part of my brain. It just doesn't quite. Equate. But we're going to talk about UVA's 2018 class and the additions that the Cavaliers brought in today, as well as talk about, uh, at least on the back end of the show, we'll talk about uh, Virginia's matchup against Navy in the um, uh, Military Bowl next uh, Thursday night afternoon. Sorry, not night. Um, we won't be recording a podcast next week before the show, before that uh, bowl game, so we thought this would be the right place, the right show to include it. Uh, before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody for tonight. Everybody is Justin Ferber up in Arlington. How are you, my friend? Doing well, doing well. Uh, getting through this early signing period or whatever you got to call it, ESP. Um, hashtag respect my decision. Hashtag no interviews. Um, had Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. <laughs> hashtag respect my decision. Yes, sir. There have That's been the new one. There have been very few things that don't ma- there well let me rephrase. There are lots of things about don't start with the quarterback. There have been lots of things about um about recruiting in general over the years that have baffled me. And this whole craze that kids are in now with like respect my decision, like who who's not respecting your de- like who's not respecting your decision? Well, it's like preemptively like I don't I wouldn't say passive aggressive, but it's kind of like preemptively like expecting people to not <laughs> respect it. Like yeah, it's like don't you tell me I made the wrong choice. Um, <laughs> don't you dare! And then and obviously don't you like reach out to me and try to get an interview? Yeah, no about this decision. I mean, I at made. least it gets it all out of the way. But yeah, that's true. I guess. I mean, honestly, if you think about it though, like the respect my decision thing is probably more for the crazy fans that like to tweet at recruits. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so it's that's kind of point. like I can't believe you turn your back on us. Um, true. UVA fans aren't as bad with that as other fan bases in the area, I would say, but. They're out there. <laughs> They're out there. Um, also, Cavs Corner on Twitter. Cavs underscore corner. Great place for our in-game updates, content items, and the occasional Woody banter. Um, all right. Overall, I, I think I, I like this class. And I know that that's very cliche. Everybody likes their class on signing day. Um, everybody thinks that their team got better in the offseason. Um, that's just sort of the way you know sports works. Um, I genuinely think that this group is, is pretty solid. I mean, if you ask me if I would rather have... Georgia's class, sure. Would I rather have Clemson's class? Absolutely. But I do think the Cavaliers, considering they're com- they were coming off of a of a two win season, primarily when they put this group together, um, I-, I think they 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 did pretty well for themselves. Um, I-, I like a lot of what's there. I think there's a lot of potential. Um, I also think that this staff has done a nice job of um, one addressing a number of needs. And when I say needs, I don't just mean like um, on the field. Uh, you, you know, you need a, you need a more playmakers. You need this. I mean, succession. I mean, depth. I think they've done a nice job of, of, of kind of spreading that wealth around and getting guys where they needed them. Um, so, it, but it's also, I think, a class that sort of fits what they are looking for in a specific player. Um, they obviously have some measurables and things that they they keep in mind when they look at various positions what's your overall sort of feel about the class Ferber? yeah i mean i like it overall um i'll be honest with you there were times during the cycle where i thought that they took a couple of players that were projects or um you know we're gonna be yeah like multiple year you know they were gonna have to be they're gonna be developmental players and i thought they had a lot of players that i thought could contribute in the first two years or definitely fit the mold and quite frankly a few of those projects are not in the class anymore um nobody specific but you know there was just a few players like on the lines and stuff like that that I felt like you know we're gonna be projects and obviously with when you need depth that's that's fine but um overall I mean the class it's not like a complete class at this point because obviously they still have a few months left to recruit 
um, basically like a month and a half before the next signing day. And we still don't know exactly who's going to sign that didn't today. Um, and there's some stuff going on behind the scenes with that. But overall, I mean, I think that they did a really good job at a few position groups that they needed to and addressed uh, some needs as well as just adding quality players to the program. Uh, specifically, I have a few things written down here. Um, wide receiver, uh, if you count inside receivers and returners and all that good stuff, um, they walked away with four. Uh, I, I like Obasi a lot um, as a complete like all-around receiver that can do a little bit of everything. Uh, and then you have Tavares Kelly, who I, I said it on Twitter earlier, he might be the fastest guy on the team You know when he gets to Charlottesville next year, which is you know great to add a guy like that and kind of almost mind-blowing that he was as under-recruited as he was considering he plays in South Florida. Um, th those two guys, as well as uh, Billy Kemp, who obviously was a late add to the class from Highland Springs, uh, who's uh, another dynamic inside receiver that can make plays in space. And then uh, we'll be, uh, we'll be Theork Umans or Umans. <laughs> um, we, we just found out about the second last name it's, today. Uh, so it's technically, uh, according to pronunciation guide, we'll be, okay, Theork, and then it's Yeomans. Yeomans, okay. Cool. Yeomans, which makes it even better that it's Wooby Theork Yeomans. Yeomans. It's the best Yeomans name work. ever. Yeah. Exactly, Yeomans work. Yeah, exactly, Wooby. Um, I'm going to have fun saying that for the next few years. And he's another guy, kind of like Obasi, that has like some versatility to his game, but he also has a lot of speed too. So, uh, I mean, it, it kind of shows you that uh, you can find the skill guys in Florida, especially. like There's just so much speed down there and talent that you can find guys like that um, that you might be able to get that haven't been recruited as well by other you know, schools in the area. Um, so I think they did well there. I think they did really well with the defensive backs. And obviously there's still a guy that's pending in uh, DJ Brown who did not sign today, but I, I think he's really good. Um, and there's you know maybe a reason that he hasn't signed is because other programs think he's really good too. Um, and then you, you have uh, Jalen Baker who was added the other day. And uh, he obviously, I, I think he, he might go down as the most underrated player in the class, at least in my opinion, just because he's got like everything UVA wants in a DB. I mean, they said that he kind of reminds him of Bryce Hall. I definitely see that comparison. He's long, he's rangy, he can play safety or corner. Um, and I think he, he's a guy that would have blown up if he had stayed on the market. And that's a, that's, that's a testament to the staff being able to go out and find guys uh, early. And then also Joe White um, from Lansdowne in Virginia Beach. Uh, he's just like, he just gets around the field. He's a great athlete. Um, seems like a pretty instinctive player. I think he's going to develop into a safety. And this staff has shown over the course of the last two years that they're really doing a good job of developing corners and safeties, whether it's Juan Thornhill or Bryce Hall who came in as a two-star recruit or a guy like Brenton Nelson who was a walk-on. Um, so you got to have a lot of faith there. And then, you know, they addressed some other areas as well. They added a lot of depth to the offensive line. Uh, I think some of those guys might take a little bit of time to develop, but uh, I mean, nonetheless, it's it's a lot more guys in there. It's more competition on in practices, um, and then, obviously the quarterback position was huge, and, and they added two guys that I think can help them right away. And I think one guy Perkins, obviously, like you said, he's not really a member of this class specifically, but I think he can come right in and play right away. And then I think Brennan Armstrong um, is a guy that could develop into a multiple-year starter and is exactly what the staff is looking for from the quarterback position. So I think overall, um, it, it, it's a solid class. I mean, it's not going to be ranked super high, but I think that they addressed a lot of needs and got a lot done, uh, including kicker, which I did not mention. Yeah, you really saw it through the whole class there. That was impressive. I, I, as somebody who was, who was on radio today and – uh, has been going and going and going since like 37 seconds after 6 a.m. today. I really appreciate that you just did that. Um, I, I want to mention. <laughs> I want to mention two things. One, um, when I was asking that question of Bronco and anybody who has uh, who has rewatched uh, or seen the, the video on Virginia Sports TV uh, or watched it uh, live on Facebook, um, I asked a question about you know about basically where do you feel like you did the best? It would seem from the outside like uh, wide receiver and linebacker. And he, he interrupted me and said in quarterback. Um, so I think it's interesting. I, I, I Like I said, I think when you when you have a transfer, even if he went to a, a JUCO uh, who is coming after having been in college, I don't know if I can call him necessarily a recruit, but it, it is a an important signing nonetheless. 
Bryce Perkins, 6'3", 215 is how UVA lists him. Brennan Armstrong, 6'2", 210. Listen, I liked Wyatt Rector. Um, good kid. I, I, I talked to him several times. Um, I think he would have done well, honestly. Um, I, I think that he had the right mindset. Um, he, he was a kid who struck me as someone who, who could really develop. And given what we saw from this staff at BYU, I think he would have been fine. That being said, I do think Brendan Armstrong's a much better prospect overall. Um, in talking to him, too, a really impressive kid that that I expect to, to do big things. Um, the spring is going to be interesting between him, Perkins, and even potentially Devontae Cross, which is something else that Bronco mentioned today. And I actually caught up with Devontae um, this afternoon for a, for a video interview we'll run soon. Um, beyond that, linebacker, T.C. Harrison, you, you mentioned that uh, that Baker might be the the most underrated or undervalued. How are we? I forget how you you phrase it. Uh, Harrison's going to be one that I think we're all going to look back and go, man, I, I can't believe more programs that weren't in on him. Um, but then you get the the nice um, combo between Javar Garrett uh, and Noah Taylor, who will enroll early. Um, they got Taylor listed at six five, two hundred, um, which it's is about of the hair. Which is <laughs> which is about twenty pounds heavier than uh, than he was, I believe. Is he he was either one seventy or one eighty in the in the rivals database, uh, and then also um, uh, Grant Mish, the uh, linebacker from uh, from Sterling. But let me let's do this. I, I think a lot of times when we talk signing day, we get so focused on the good. Let's talk about a little bit about the bad, or maybe the maybe not necessarily the bad, but what. What don't we like about this class? And and I'll, I'll go first here. I, I I think that it's important to say that UVA has brought in a lot of kids who seem to fit what they do. And given what we've seen from the staff so far, the staff is good at developing kids. Uh, wouldn't mind a little bit more star power. And if you want to think in terms of rankings, ratings, if you or if you want to think in terms of general interest. For example, if you stack Virginia Tech's class up next to Virginia's, I promise you that as I went through it, there would be more tech players that I'd want than maybe UVA guys. That's not to say that UVA has a bad class. It's just like there's a reason that tech at this point, I think early at some point this afternoon, tech was 13th nationally. Virginia was 49th. Um, There were a lot of names on that on tech's list of guys who uh, Virginia wanted and did not get. Um, There aren't as many names on this list uh, of, of guys who had, you know, a host of ACC, SEC, big 10, um, sort of offers um, handful of them here and there no no doubt but overall you'd probably like to you like it to be a class that included you know kids who who other programs wanted to get now what I find interesting is in, in both Baker um, and Kelly uh, and Hugo um, all of those guys were were players that clearly other schools wanted to to, to get uh, to talk to Brendan Armstrong obviously as he told me last week in a story we ran this week um, wasn't just that he had committed to Minnesota. He, he was hearing from Kentucky. He was from North, from North Carolina. Um, Javar Garrett had a nice offer list. Um, ultimately, I think Jordan Redmond did as well. Uh, Joe White had a Virginia Tech offer, which was I think is important. Um, I think the uncertainty around Will Lawrence is another negative here. Um, you, you do add Joe Bezinger and Derek Devine, Bobby Haskins, and um, Martin Weiss. Um, having... If Lawrence is a part of this class, it makes it a little bit better. And if he decides he doesn't want to play football anymore, however that shakes out, um, we'll we'll have to wait and see. But ultimately, what Bronco said today about wanting to add one more on each line, I think um, you you would have liked to have had um, maybe one more offensive lineman and probably one more true tackle. Um, You know, I'm not against taking a kid like Haskins who who is a tight end and he has the, the frame to put on the weight to play tackle. Um, and athletic tackle is never a bad thing, um, but maybe a more established sort of tackle option wouldn't have been a bad thing either, just given what Virginia's depth situation is. Um, I, I think the fact that there are more Floridians on this list and Virginians on this list is both a positive and a negative, which might sound odd, but you know that's just sort of the the way it goes. Um, you know, I, I don't think that, um, and I think a lot of it will be made of Bronco's comments about offering early. And the state, the kids in Virginia who expect offers early, and that if you don't offer, it's hard to to really get in in their recruitments. I think much much will there will be a lot of uh, overreaction. I could totally see to to his comments, but a lot of what he said I think makes a lot of sense in this in, in that 
you know, he's still trying to build relationships with with kids in the Commonwealth. Like I said, they were two and ten last year. Um, so f- to to be able to sort of put that together this year was going to be tough. Um, there were obviously a lot of kids in Virginia, or you know, let's let's say the DMV, uh, that they would have liked um, who they didn't get. But maybe after you have a pretty decent season, uh, you get some of those kids next year. Um, I think 2019 is going to be incredibly important in the state, um, and, and I do include DC and, and Southern Maryland into that because I mean, realistically, you know, that's that's sort of uh, connected. Um, it was nice, obviously, at the end of the day. Uh, you got that random Christmas cookie uh, of Tavares Kelly announcing when we we didn't expect. We thought we thought things were done for the day. Um, I just feel like uh, that that positive was good. Uh, I think getting Hugo signed was good. So there's lots of positives coming out of that. I don't want to make it sound like the the negatives are so plentiful that they they counter that they counteract. I, I think that if you're if you're just if you're going to look at it and you're going to be a, uh, objective, you have to appreciate that there. Yeah, there were lots of lots of good things and, and some bad things. Um, ultimately, the I, I do like the the way that this class was constructed. I like. Uh, a lot of the the pieces individually, I think in each position group, I can give you one that really stands out to me. Um, the Harrison kid, just watching his film, watching uh, Tavares Kelly's film, uh, watching um, you know, watching uh, even like uh, Joe White. Have, have can you remember a class at Virginia signed that had as many dudes who could return punts and kicks as this class does? Yeah, this is yeah for sure. I mean, I mean they're like a whole bunch of dudes that you could le- legitimately say, okay, you could try this guy here, or you could try this guy there. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think yeah. I mean, I think this staff kind of emphasizes special teams in a way that the previous staff didn't, um, and it leads them to recruit more versatile type linemen and guys like that, or not linemen. I'm sorry, like defensive backs um, and linebackers to know you know to to know that those guys will be able to give you something on special teams if they're not a starter on offense or defense which is something that I feel like the previous staff didn't really do as much. Um, but, yeah, I mean, my negatives are kind of the same as yours. Uh, Virginia, I mean, obviously, look, I mean, Bronco made a made a statement after the uh, the day today on one of the videos that they put up uh, with Dave Kane that he doesn't really, um, like, stars don't mean anything to him. I know that's cliche. Um, I, I don't want people to take that as – he doesn't recruit players that are highly rated. Um, just like Tony Bennett, it's the same same thing. Um, that doesn't mean that he doesn't want those players and put those players at the top of his board. What he's saying is he doesn't pick like a high end three star over a high, you know, like a mid tier three star because of the star. Um, that that that's just not something that's really important to him. I mean, a lot of times it can be both things. It's like, you know, you can say stars don't matter, but the best players have a lot of stars, you know, so you can, it, it, it all works out in the end. Um, I will say this, the area where I feel like they need the high, the stars the most with this staff and the way that they construct everything is the offensive line. Um, last year, I mean, they missed on Makai Becton, who ended up being a freshman All-American at Louisville and started every game at tackle. Um he might have done that at Virginia. He probably would have. Uh, you know, there were a few other guys in this cycle, high end guys that um, that didn't quite, you know, like they just didn't quite, you know, get to. Uh, even on defensive line, uh, with guys like Franklin and uh, Cam Good, is it Good or Good? Um, it's coming into Virginia Tech, but didn't sign today. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like I, I feel like the staff can turn these rangy defensive backs that might not, you know, have a ton of offers or but they look good on film and they and they seem to fit what UVA is looking for. I have a, a lot of confidence that they'll be able to turn those guys into something. Um the same with the receivers that they brought. I, I appreciate and one of my positives for this class was that, you know, if you're gonna take a three star wide receiver, um you, you don't have to I'd rather have a guy like Kelly that is a little undersized but has one attribute, speed, that puts him over the top and can make him a game-changing player than have, like, a guy that kind of does everything, but he's not great at anything. Um, Those kind of guys a lot of times don't pan out in college because they just – it's so hard to get open against good defensive backs. Um, But a guy like Kelly, you can design plays for him. You can run stuff for him, uh, give him the ball behind the line of scrimmage. So I'd rather them take guys like that. But on the offensive and defensive line, I think that they – that's where they need to kind of – find some luck in getting these higher end guys because those are the kind of guys that's the talent that you need to have a guy come in and play right away um 
And they've done, I mean, I'm not saying they haven't done a good job developing those, the guys on both sides of the line, but, I mean, I'm just looking at the guys they're bringing in in this class, and I, I like a lot of the offensive linemen, uh, Martin Weiss and uh, Derek Devine especially. I think that they have high ceilings. But um, it would be good to get a guy that's like, you know, you could point to him and be like, that guy can come in and play from day one. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I also think, too, if I want to kind of circle back to something um, that you said a few minutes ago, you were talking about, um, you know, you if you if you if you're going to have a kid that you that maybe is a little undersized, uh, ha- go with an attribute that that separates them. And I think for a long time, Virginia went with jumbo athletes, these kind of bigger you know, six foot three, six, four kids, you know, who could do a lot of different things. And I'm not saying that those, that there isn't a place in the game for them. Yeah. Like, like a Kyle Dawkins or yeah. like a Keon. Keon yeah. was like a highly rated guy. I mean, he was right. Yeah. Yeah. But th- that type but of, you know what I'm type. saying? Yeah. It's kind of like not a lot of natural speed, but some athleticism, but not a lot that's going to like separate you, especially in this offense that relies on a lot of like underneath stuff to set up over the top stuff. Right. And so like in this look, you're, you're not. You're. Uh, is it easier for you to have a quarterback who can throw the ball in a place where a big guy can go out and go up and get it, um, without putting in a position where a DB can go up and get it, or to throw a pass and have a guy break three tackles and go sixty-five yards to the house? Um, I, I'm really. I'm. I think it's really interesting that they seem to have identified the smaller. Look, five ten, one seventy for Wooby. All right, five nine, one seventy for Kemp. Uh, five nine, one sixty-five for Kelly. It's weird to think that Ugo at six foot one, uh, 180 is the big guy of the wide receiver core that they signed today. Um, the, he would have been small uh, a couple classes ago. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, he would have been like, I mean, like Alameda is a wide receiver, but he wasn't recruited as one. He was recruited as a running back. And now it's kind of hard to imagine him as a running back. Like he seems so natural at wide receiver, and I credit the previous staff for switching him basically to that position. But I mean, like that's why he makes so many plays is because he has elite speed. I mean, he doesn't have to be six foot five. Yeah, and he's got and he and he's got that wiggle too. That that um, it's funny how like you watch you watch film now and, and like you can see certain players because this staff does I think identify kids based on specific measurables. And, and Bronco had an interesting point today where he talked about like. That they grade each player based on their position, um, according to their measurables, and if the pay, if the player has like a um, a low grade in terms of how they compare uh, in measurables to what their their ideal is for that position, then he has to have a bunch of intangibles that make it so that that he that that all of the stuff that he doesn't have in terms of measurables gets wiped off the table. So he mentioned Billy Kemp because. Billy Kim came to camp and nobody could guard him. And then he put him on defense and nobody could catch passes against him. And then he was just running around catching punts and, and kicks and nobody could stop him. Um, and so it didn't matter if he was five foot nine, 165 pounds soaking wet. Uh, what mattered is that he could, he, he could get stuff done. And I think it's interesting. And I'm really curious to see how this group goes because even though these dudes are small, I mean like, look, let's be honest. The game of football is different in 2017 than it was three years ago than it was six years ago than it was 15 years ago not just in terms of scheme and the way teams play but in terms of the rules like yeah it's still a violent game dudes are still hitting each other but like you can have a 5-9 dude out there now and he can really make other teams look foolish you know when 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 the refs are 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 not just um not just willing to to give Offensive players have benefited the doubt, but when they are instructed to, smaller guys can can have a huge impact. And I mean, I watch football on a pretty regular basis at the college level, and like, there's a bunch of tiny kids running around having you know having a field day. Now, maybe they don't you know really translate to the next level, but even that's starting to break down a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, a, if you think about it, it's like you, when you go. I mean, think about the offense that Al Gro ran, right? So it was a lot of under center and the passing plays were like off of runs, right? So it's like boots and play action. And I mean, when Matt Schaub and, and Hagen's were quarterback, they did a little bit more open, you know, open offense passing concepts. But it was a lot of like your receivers had to be able to block. And it just like an NFL receiver, basically, like, you know, the smallest guy out there is like 5'11 or whatever, except for, you know, a few exceptions like Darren Sproles. So you know, cause they have to be able to do everything. There's not as much personnel shifting, but nowadays it's like, 
you're running receivers on and off. You're running four or five receivers in at a time. You can throw guys in the backfield. You can do different things. And it's like the staff is recruiting players to the roles that they want to use them in and not like, oh, we just need a bunch of interchangeable parts, you know? Um, we're not just like building a team. It, it's like, you know, you can build a team of three stars like all day long. And, you know, you can go get those guys. But at the end of the day, if you can't make explosive plays, like it, it's not probably going to work out unless you have an elite, elite, elite quarterback that can pick you apart like a Marcus Mariota or something. Right. Um, and, you know, and, and then I think my other point to this class is it's kind of given me, I mean, a lot of people have been hard on Robert and I, including myself. Um, but you can kind of see just listening to the staff talk and the way that they recruited the offense that they've been running for the last two years. I think they feel like they were kind of almost forced to run it the way they did, um, whether right or wrong. And I feel like now they feel like going forward with the personnel they have, especially a quarterback, they're going to be able to do things the way they want to do them. Rocco even said something today about like, you have to do things the way you, you know, you have to do what you have to do so you can do what you want to do. Right. That, yeah, it's kind of a wordy quote. But, no, it's, but it's, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And I think that I, I think that people should be a little bit more open to the idea of giving them another year or two to see what the offense looks like. Because even without Kurt, who was a prolific passer this year, I think there's definitely some optimism, at least for me, that things can be a little bit more in sync and consistently effective than they were in the last two. Just because I feel like it plays to the strengths of the players they want to recruit. And the schemes they want to run are more complete with a dual threat quarterback. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, it's funny you were talking just a minute ago, and a light bulb went off in my head because how many times have we heard Bronco talk about? You know, we're starting to figure out the things that they can do. You know, we're starting to figure out the ways to use them. He, uh, talking about the current personnel, if you look at this list of players and a lot of, especially on offense, those wide receivers are versatile in the sense that that you don't need to have a perfectly schemed up play for them to, to make a big play. Does that make sense? Like if you think about what Lamade brings to this offense, um, you don't have to have a specific blocker here and a specific blocker there. And the timing has to be right off the play action to get over. Like these kids make plays happen. And to your point about the dual threat nature, I mean that when I wrote that piece right after the, the, the tech game the next week, I don't think in my wildest dreams I could have imagined that it would happen so not just so quickly, but so definitively. Like they're not showing Bryce Perkins and Brennan Armstrong anything of UVA. Like they're only showing them BYU film. Like they're very clearly, yep, time to go on, time to move forward. Now maybe they're not going to go tempo, tempo, tempo right away, but they're certainly setting up the elements of that. Um, the bigger focus obviously is getting uh, getting into the offensive shift. Um, one thing I thought of as I was just looking over um, over the the list of signees that UVA put out, there there is one defensive lineman in the class uh, as as currently constructed. Uh, Jordan Redman, the six foot one, two hundred ninety pound defensive tackle from um, from Osceola uh, in Central Florida. Um, but I noticed there's a line at the top of this release that says the following is a list of individuals who have signed. Uh, national letters of intent to attend the University of Virginia on a football grenade. There's one key word that's left out of that. All. It did not say the following is a list of all individuals. It just says a list of individuals, which, and I'm not trying to be, you know, a conspirator here, um, but in the big scheme of things, I am would be shocked. Let me just say it like this. I would be shocked if there aren't at least one, if not more, there aren't more uh, letters of intent that Virginia has received. And I'm going to, I'm going to use two things. One, as I post on the board today, I talked to a source, Samson Reed, everything is good to go. No sense of worry. Um, can't say any more than that as of now, but that's all I can say. Um, second thing, think about Tavares Kelly, right? The, all we heard going into this was that there was a chance he could sign. Maybe he won't. Um, we knew early in the morning that he had signed because there were people congratulating him for signing, right? So we knew he signed and it hadn't been announced yet. And then UVA thought they were done and then came word that they weren't. Um, and so then quickly everything sort of came out that, that he had signed. I think the plan until either Tavares himself or maybe one of his family members decided to, 
to say, you know what, let's just do it. Um, I think the plan was for him to have signed and then signed with St. Thomas Aquinas um, on signing day. Quote, unquote, sign with them. Um, And I wonder, as we, look, I I think those of us who are recruit uh, following people, recruit Knicks, folks who are invested in this, we understand that this this new signing period, the early thing was is a is an experiment in a lot of ways, and so there's a lot of uncertainty. And I think one of the things that seem to have been developing, continues to be developing, is that there are schools that just don't want to have an early signing period. High schools, I mean. Uh, Bronco mentioned a specific coach, and I, I don't know to whom he was referring. I have my own suspicions, but a specific coach who didn't want to have two signing ceremonies. He wanted to do one signing ceremony and that there has been a resistance at the high school level in some programs uh, to having multiple signing days. And so basically it's like, look, you, you, you don't lose anything. But Bronco's point was like, well, actually your kid can lose a lot because as he explained to my question, like if you are committed and you don't sign, I have to, I have to act like you're not committed. I have to prepare for the possibility that you're not going to be a part of this class. Um, and so I'm not, um, I'm not saying necessarily that, that, that that's a widespread behavior, but it certainly seems to, to be prevalent. I've heard of, in talking to my colleagues, other players from other schools who were supposed to sign, who may have indeed signed and they're, and they're having to play this like cat and mouse game of like, uh, you know, wink, wink, just wait. Um, when in actuality, there's nothing that says if, Player X sends a, a, a letter of intent to UVA today that UVA has to say that they got it. Um, I mean, I guess maybe you could FOIA them. Um, please don't do that. Um, but I guess you could. Um, but ultimately, as long as the player and the school are, are straight, then what does it matter? I, feel, I understand that there are some folks out there who are a little bit nervous that there are several kids who have not signed or at least those signings have not been made public. Uh, in Micah McRodri's uh, situation, and I know I don't know how to say his last nice, name. Nice try. I did my best. Um, I, I did a much better job on the radio tonight. Um, in his situation, he hasn't taken his official visit yet, so it makes so, total sense that he would wait because you, you're just because you're committed doesn't you know you haven't had a chance to take that 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 trip. Um, I mean, he, he lives in Hawaii. Yeah, like, it's not like he it's not like it's right down the road. Um, Samson Reed, I, as I mentioned before, I think. Uh, everything's going to work out just fine there. DJ Brown seems to be the one that, um, that folks are maybe I don't want to say most nervous about the addition of Jalen Baker seems to have, have calmed a lot of that. Um, but, and I don't want to elevate this discussion any more than it needs to be, but there's another player at his high school who Virginia targeted, who's committed to an in-state rival who has not signed his letter of intent either. And that kid was as gung ho about tech as any kid I've seen in a long time. Um, oh, I thought you were talking about ODU. Huh. Um, I don't know why Cam Good uh, didn't sign his letter. And in talking to my colleagues, it certainly sounds like there's a some sort of um, thing, some sort of situation going on there. But nobody seems to be doubting that he is going to sign with Tech. So I, I'm not sure DJ's in that in that camp. Obviously, there was a lot of there were a lot of schools trying to get in on him. Um, he ended up not taking that Notre Dame trip, and and folks seem to be a lot more confident about him in UVA. So I guess we'll have to wait and see uh, on February the seventh just what exactly uh, signing day holds. I think Bronco's point about when I asked him that question about you know so what do you feel like your needs are as 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 of today? Another offensive lineman, another defensive lineman. He'd like to have a DB. He'd like to um he'd like to have. Uh, I think he said one more wide receiver and then the other three spots, best player available. If you think about what Virginia currently has out there in terms of committed guys who have not signed, makes a lot of sense. Uh, one offensive know? lineman, one yeah. defensive lineman. Right. Like, and so ultimately maybe those three spots, uh, you know, they've offered some, some recent kids. Some of those, some of those guys are going to take visits. Um, but I, this is the thing uh, as we sort of wrap up this conversation on signing day specifically. Now that there's so much hay in the barn, I am fascinated at the idea of like, so what does this, what does that do once the, but once the coaches are out of bowl games and, and your dead period is over, does it free them up in a way that they haven't been freed up before to scour for talent in a way that they haven't been able to before? Cause think about it. So the, so the typically the dead period runs until roughly the end of the first week or so of January. Okay. So you're going to have one, two, three, four, maybe five tops 
weekends where you can go uh, have kids on official visits. Typically, it's going to be three or four. All right. And if you're able to have three or four visit weekends and you have to, one, worry about basically your entire signing class and you're trying to address needs, maybe you don't have the, uh, the, the, the bandwidth, you know, to really go out there um, and, and, and scour for new uh, targets. And so I'm really curious to see what happens. Will this allow schools to, to just pour all of their resources into the same group of kids? Will they be expanding that group of kids? Um, I think it actually could end up being a situation where players who otherwise would not have been noticed or would not have gotten nearly the attention. Because here's what's going to happen. It's going to be, in my opinion, just like spring basketball recruiting is, where it's a feeding frenzy. Because they find out School X and School Y offered player A, boom, offers going to start rolling in because everybody's going to be trying to play catch-up. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I mean, honestly, I was thinking about it today, and I didn't know how this whole thing would play out for UVA and other schools, but... The more I think about it, the more I think for this specific staff and this specific school, I think having the early signing period, I'm not saying it doesn't need tweaks. I think it's actually a positive for UVA in a few different ways. The main one is that you get a guy like Jalen Baker, right? And this staff, I mean, other staffs are are good at this too, but I think the way this staff is going to win is they're going to win on evaluating players that because they do a very good job of that and they have a model and they're obviously on the cutting edge of like i mean they had some kind of software at byu for for this that they like it was like proprietary and they were like you know other schools are trying to use it and all this stuff um i remember that was like a thing that we heard when they first came here but hasn't really been brought up since but that's one of the strengths of the staff is evaluating players finding guys that are under the radar they're used to working with limited resources at BYU in that they could only recruit kids that were LDS. Um, that's obviously not a limitation that they have here, but they're used to being able to find niches and different guys. So with an early signing period, you get a guy that you feel like you've evaluated late, but nobody's really on him in Jalen Baker, right? You get him into UVA. He visits. He likes it. He doesn't have a lot of other offers. Uh, it's the best one he has. He's a good student. He commits. And then you have the early signing period, and now he's locked in. But if there's no early signing period, that's three, you know, like, what, three, four, five more weeks for teams to evaluate, have decommitments, have coaching changes, you know, different priorities come up. That's just more competition for the player. I mean, he got a Georgia Tech offer right after coming back from his visit to UVA, and, you know, we're under the impression that those offers would have continued to come in. I mean, if you're Clemson or a school like that, it's cool to have an early signing period, but you can always throw offers around and people will come. It's not the case like that for UVA. So I think having the early signing period is a good thing. It kind of gets a lot of the guys, you know, into the class and then you don't have to worry about keeping them late and you can move on to your final few targets, um, which is where a team like UVA might be able to pull a, a better recruit. You know, if they can, you know, find a guy that, you know, he was on a, he was committed to a school that changed coaches or something like that. You know, uh, a, a team that, you know, maybe he thought was a good fit for him, but it isn't, or, or, you know, they're trying to recruit over him. You never know what the situation is. The UVA can kind of get those kind of guys late, but solidify their class with the guys they feel like maybe undervalued or are just good fits for the school early, get those guys in, then you can move on. Um, I mean, I think having the like a guy like Tavares Kelly in the fold and not having to worry about schools coming in at the last minute trying to get him um, is a plus for UVA. So I think that the early signing period might need a few tweaks as far as like how it goes down. And obviously over time, I think these issues with schools not wanting to do two signing days or not knowing which one to do or how to organize all of it, I think those things will sort of get figured out over time as people get used to this model. Um so I'm not too worried about that. Uh, but, I mean, Bronco did also bring up a good point that sometimes high school coaches don't want a player to sign early because they want to see they want them to maximize the time that they're on the market to see if they can get better offers. Um, better, obviously, is a, an opinion. Um, obviously, a Clemson offer is a little different than a UVA offer as far as the expectations and the resources that that program has. But better is, it, that's dependent on what the, what the, player wants and, and what his 
you know, goals are as far as like early playing time or academics or what have you. So if, if a coach wants to kind of like hijack the process and keep a kid on the market, um, and we don't know for sure that that's happened with any of UVA's recruits that didn't sign, but um, that, I mean, that's kind of a concern, but I mean, those kids would have been on the market until February anyway with the old system. I think that's a. I know that was a lot. No, yeah. no, no. I think that's good, and that actually, you covered just about all of the other stuff in my brain that I wanted to cover on the on the uh, recruiting side of this podcast. Um, so let's switch over to the to the uh, military ball. I don't want to give it short shrift. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to just march um, march past it uh, and pretend like it's not a thing. Is that um, a military pun? Oh god! With the marching? No, actually, I was thinking about stormtroopers because I just saw the Star Wars movie twice and like different kind of military. Yeah, you know, whatever. Um, no, so like this is a game that to me continues to be of interest and and obviously um, somewhat fascinating in the sense that it's an it's a navy home game and a bowl game, uh, small stadium, apparently really 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 difficult parking situation um, in and around it. Um, but at the same time, like there's just it's it's weird. It doesn't feel like a game week. Even I mean, obviously it's not game week because they're not playing this week. Um, but it sort of it should feel like that, but it doesn't. Maybe that's because of the holidays, or maybe that's because of the the sort of random nature. Um, I did talk to, like I said before, Devonte Cross and Brenton Nelson today, and I I asked them about you know because they're now deep in an actual game planning, and that's a little bit different maybe than what they were doing um, initially. Uh, once uh, the season had ended and and they were able to, I mean, because like for the last week or so, I mean, the kids have been gone um, from from school and the and the players have just been there, sort of hanging out. And Devontae was very honest. He's like, yeah, it's a ghost town, um, so they're not able to do uh, much of anything other than just football. Um, so as they started Navy prep, you know, I think it's important to understand that Navy's triple option is not quite Georgia Tech Georgia Tech's triple option. Um, Navy runs it almost like a spread. Like Georgia Tech, it almost seems like if you can take away the dive, you, you that's half the battle. Um, with Navy, like they're gonna spread you out, uh, and it's and it's uh, it's like something akin to like spread concepts from a spread like passing offense. Um, similar similar ideas, just doing it with a running game. Um, and it is gonna take you know assignments and, and folks being sound, um, you know, in order to 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 get the win. Um, I. I I don't want to make it seem like there isn't a lot to say, but ultimately I think this one comes down to Virginia's offense um, executing. Um, not just not just better than obviously they did against Tech, but realistically I think Navy's a team that can hurt you because they do control the ball for forever. Um, those cliches from Georgia Tech certainly do fit. Um, to me it's all about whether or not Virginia can stay on the field offensively and be sharp enough um, to sort of take advantage of of the advantage that they have. I mean, ultimately, let's be honest, like Navy's not recruiting, you know, a class full of threes and fours. I mean, this these are kids that that, that choose Navy for different reasons beyond just football. Um, so clearly the, 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 the Cavaliers, at least on the field, should have an advantage. Question is whether or not they can sort of take advantage of it. Um, as you start to think about this matchup, Ferber, or as you continue to think about it, what are what are some of the things that sort of stand out to you as you sort of evaluate it? Yeah, I think, yeah, like you said, Navy's triple option is a little different than Georgia Tech's. Uh, they run a lot more like off-tackle type stuff. Um, obviously, the quarterback is paramount, and they have two that play. Um, Zach Avey and what was the other one's name? I want to say it was Malcolm Brown. Malcolm Perry, sorry. Um so they'll both play. Uh, they're both running threats. They don't throw the ball much. They throw the ball more than Army does. <laughs> but, um, I mean, A.B. has 71 pass attempts on the year. I think Kurt had a game this year where he had like 60-something. So um, I think their passing game is probably less of a threat than Georgia Tech's. Uh, I mean, their leading receiver is 14 catches. So, I mean, he is a big kid. Tyler Carmona is a senior. Um, but I think I have a lot of faith in the UVA's defense to be able to do a decent job against Navy's offense. I think, like you said, the key to the game is going to come down to how well UVA's offense executes against Navy's defense, which is pretty decent. Um, 
you know, they're not the biggest defense in the world as far as size. Um, UVA might have a chance to kind of get the running game going against a smaller defensive line, but at the same time, Navy, obviously, I don't want to use cliches, but they're obviously very disciplined in their schemes, and, and they'll come to play. Uh, but And we'll have to see what the, the long layoff does for UVA as far as, you know, how they're – Offense, are they in sync? You know, how do they handle being off for, I think, more than a month by the time they actually play the game? Um, as well as the fact that both of these teams have come in, I think, losers of five out of six, both of them. So um, not exactly two red-hot teams. So we'll see how that impacts things as well. But, yeah, I think if UVA can come out and score, I think if UVA hits 28 points, they'll they'll probably win the game. Any more than that, I'll feel really good about them winning the game. Any less than that, you're running the risk for losing a tight one. And anything less than 21, you're probably going to lose. When I look at Virginia overall, I expect Brent Nelson to be healthy. I expect Michael Kaiser to play uh, his normal game, regardless of whether or not he's got a cast on his wrist. Um, Injury-wise, I I can't think of many others that are going to be issues unless guys get hurt between now and then. So the Cavaliers should be relatively healthy going into this matchup. And if that's the case, um, the only thing I can think of that might really trip them up is that they will be somewhat thin on the defensive line. Um, Stephen Wright and uh, Jawan Moy will be transferring at the end of this semester, I guess, or technically now the semester's over, so they have already left um, after being suspended by Bronco Mendenhall for both uh, the Virginia Tech game and the um, – bowl game for a violation of team rules they obviously had the opportunity to or I guess were given the opportunity to earn their scholarship back uh, as walk-ons and decided to leave Um, I have not heard hide nor hair of what they did or how whatever (laughs) Um, so I'm not going to get into speculating about what respect their respect their decision right no interviews Um, so I'm not going to get into that but in terms of the football side of it it does leave Virginia kind of thin on the defensive line um, when you're facing a, a a triple option attack, probably not good to to be limited. Uh, Mandy Alonzo was a kid that impressed us. Obviously, they'll have Andrew Brown back. Uh, Bronco made and also clear this week. Also with uh with Mandy, you know he played a lot against Georgia Tech, and I think that was by design. So, I mean, having him against the option would would you know he's got experience. Yeah, with this, seems, so I think that's a good thing. Seems about right. I think they thought I think they thought since Georgia Tech has smaller um some smaller offensive linemen, maybe his like quick get off more athletic ability would, would kind of be a factor um, in that game. Then they used him a lot at end, you know, he was kind of recruited as a tackle. So, um, and then also somebody, I mean, this is kind of, it's off topic, but um, interesting thing that uh, I think it was Kelly Papinga said about Jordan Redman, who signed his defensive tackle. Um, he said that, he thinks that he can kind of come in and compete for the job, and if he does, then they can move Eli Handback back to end. Yeah, that's that's been my thought too. Has been Eli moving back to end. Yeah, I mean, in, but I can't think of anybody besides Redmond that would take his place at tackle. Um, um, unless Trish- like Tommy Christ, Trish- Trishilla Christ. Um, oh yeah, Trishilla. I forgot about him. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. You know, and then it remains to be seen. You know, Chris would be one. Uh, Curvin and, and Baumgartner are still at end. Um, and matter of fact, as I think back to the recruiting class, it would have been nice if Virginia could have signed one, you know, stereotypical defensive end in the group. Um, but realistically, I think they're going to be they're going to have to play. Um, they're going to have to be a little more exotic with it, um, maybe than a traditional um, sort of. Uh, yeah, I think you're going to see more of these like two down linemen yeah. type situations and stuff like that, because the way that Broncos defense, everybody kind of, you know, like I've talked to. I've done like a Q and A or two for different, you know, guys that cover different teams that UVA's played, and they're like, "What about this classic U- Bronco Mendenhall three three five defense?" And I'm like, "Well, it doesn't always look like that. Like, <laughs> it actually is a lot of other stuff besides that." So, um, let's get to some predictions. Uh, Dave, uh, who I just realized we never actually said where he was. It'd be like that episode of uh, What's Your Nigga where the kid goes upstairs and never comes back. Um, well, all I know is if you're not if you're not committed to this podcast today, then you're considered. Yeah, yeah, then we, yeah we gotta we gotta go out there and find talent. Uh, Dave is obviously, as we've mentioned before, in the middle of a uh, uh, construction project with the business side of things, so he's tied up with that. Uh, he sends his regards. Uh, he too is excited about the recruiting class. 
Uh, actually, I don't know if he's, if he is excited. He never told me. Um, but he did pick the Cavaliers 24-20 to 20 to win this game. Um, he did not give any rationale for that pick other than just numbers on uh, on a screen. I don't think that seems terribly far off, although I, I do think that the Cavaliers are probably going to score a little bit more than that. Um, so if I'm going to pick it, which I am, I, I would go Cavaliers 28-20. Uh, to 20. Uh, That feels about right to me. Um mainly because I think Navy it, it feels like a game that could more points could be scored but I also feel like Navy's going to take the the air out of the ball and really shorten the game. Um talent-wise I think the Cavaliers are the better team and 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 offensively as long as the layoff doesn't uh, hurt them too bad I think that they'll eventually get themselves right and especially if they can score a touchdown before the half cuz that seems to be their MO. Uh what are you thinking about this one Ferber? Dude, you literally took my exact score. Yeah, sweet. I love it. Yeah, I love it when I sound 20. smart. So now I'll change it. Of course. Um, yeah, just mix it up. I'll go 28-23 um, UVA. I think, like you said, I think Navy will try to shorten the game. Uh, they'll keep it on the ground a lot. UVA will open things up in the passing game and I think just let it fly a lot. And I think that they could find some success with that. Um, my only concern is rust and you know, like how the layoff might affect them against a team that obviously will come out ready to play in Navy. So um, obviously quick start will be important, but uh, if they can, if they can get some stops on defense, I think that they can, they can take this one. Well, there you go. And I think that's a good place to put a pin in it. Want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. As always, Uh, this is likely to be the last podcast that we do in the, the year of our Lord 2017. So I really want to say thank you again, uh, to everybody who has supported the show, given us a, a listen uh, throughout uh, this calendar year, um, we uh, we enjoy it. It it, it sometimes uh, it sometimes can be daunting to do this thing every week, but it's fun, and we really appreciate everybody out there supporting the show. Uh, Want to also say thank you to Dave, even though he's not here. Um, he does give graciously of his time on the reg, uh, so I, I do want to say. Uh, thank you to him and give him a shout out. And also, lastly, because it is the last uh, podcast of the year, I want to say uh, thank you to Ferber. Uh, this kid does a lot for me, um, and he has an actual full-time job on the side um, and somehow manages to always answer the bell. So I really appreciate all you do for me and all you do for the site. Uh, and thank you, Brad. <laughs> no, no, no. See, you, no, no. I'd set this up so you didn't know that was coming, and you would not have any. Uh, you would not have any retort, and then I could just close the show, and then you'd be like, "Oh man, I didn't know you were going to do that," and it would have been a cool thing. You weren't supposed right. to. You weren't. You were supposed to say, "Oh man, thanks." That was all you're supposed to say. You weren't. You weren't supposed to respond. That was the. That was the deal. You didn't just. You didn't. You didn't know you agreed to it. Yeah, we'll edit all this out in post. <laughs> no, we won't, because Brad's lazy. Again, uh, thanks everybody out there for giving uh, us a listen. For Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you next year.